Eagles Entertainment. With the 21st pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast. I'm your host, Fran Duff, and we've got another episode chock full of content for you today. And Here on the show, we're going to start it off with Draft Buzz, where Ben Fennel, Dane Brugler, and I are going to break down the top tackles in this draft. Last week, we did the interior offensive line, but let's keep it rolling here with our offensive tackles. And whether it's the top run blockers, the top pass protectors, the top sleepers, really whatever you're looking for, we're going to hit on all of it right here at the top of the show. We're also going to touch on a, a little bit of a fun topic for this draft in particular that is really going to be quite unique for just this year, just this draft. And we'll get into that right at the top of the show in Draft Buzz. After that, we've got On the Clock, where the three of us, once again, go through the exercise of playing the role of teams in draft rooms around the league. This week, we're going to be making picks selected by random draw by my little randomizer here for the Cleveland Browns, the Atlanta Falcons, and the Miami Dolphins. So we'll cover those three teams in that segment before we say goodbye to both Dane and Ben. And then we're going to talk about one more team. We're going to talk about the Buffalo Bills in the blueprint where we say hello to Sal Capaccio, who covers this Bills team very closely up in Buffalo. And he's going to take us through the strategy of Brandon Bean and the Bills when it comes to the NFL draft. What tendencies and strategies have they shown over the years with who they target? We'll hit on all of that in Sal in that segment. Before we wrap the show up with Draft Mailbag, where we've got a couple of Eagles-focused questions from you at home covering two different positions on each side of the ball. And we're going to answer it here to wrap up the podcast today. Before we get to the start of the show, just a quick reminder, jump onto our Apple podcast page and do us that great favor of leaving us a rating, leave us a comment, whether it's a question about the draft process, the process of selecting a player, uh, player rankings, mock drafts, whatever it is. We're just about, what is it, just over a month now until the 2021 NFL Draft. So if you've got questions, we've got answers. Head on over to our Apple podcast page, leave us a rating, leave us a, a question in the comments section. And not only does it help you, but it also helps us because it helps make that show available to other people that are looking for NFL Draft podcasts. That being said, let's get this one rolling here. It's time now to kick things off with Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, well, let's get things rolling here as I welcome in Ben Fennell, Dane Brugler. Guys, we are, uh, like I said, uh, we're what? Just over a month away uh, from the 2021 NFL Draft. Excited to kind of get things uh, going here with you. A little bit of an interesting kind of take that I, I've got. I was, I was thinking about this as we're seeing these pro day workouts come in, guys. And, um, you know, obviously it's that time of year. There's all the, the numbers are bouncing around. We didn't have the combine. So everybody's really hanging on every single number that comes through from all of these workouts. And some of these guys, were combine invites and some of them weren't right. So you're trying to get a, trying to get through a mess of uh, who are the guys that are worthwhile in terms of taking a look at. I really personally feel that we're going to have, and, I, and I've talked about this with both of you guys separately is we're going to have a record low in terms of amount of non combine invites that are drafted. If I had to guess, I think the senior bowl will have a hundred percent of their players drafted this year. I just feel like with the lack of uh, exposures to players, all these guys that get that extra exposure, all that extra information that's shared with teams, that's just going to benefit them and really kind of increase uh, their chances of being selected. So with that in mind, I feel like what is that profile of a guy that's not good, that was not invited to the combine, but is going to hear their names called, right? I just feel like they, well, that's kind of an interesting look into this class. Danny, do you feel like that's that there's, these guys are going to kind of have some sh uh, share some qualities uh, in terms of what they bring to the table? Well, I think the main thing is just you have to be clean. 
Uh, And what I mean by that is guys with, you know, character concerns or coming off major injury, it's going to be tough for those guys. Uh, But players who check the boxes, size, athleticism, special teams background, uh, you know, guys that were uh, in in the program that they come from, uh, you know, they were reliable guys. Um, And so if the coaches vouch for them, um, you know, if they've got a track record of being versatile and what they offer, if you're, if you have a clean resume, you've got a chance. So there was one point in that question that I think or that answer there that really kind of sticks out to me. And that's the special teams background. And so, uh, last week uh, during one of the many, uh, pro day media availabilities that I was on, uh, I talked with Georgia tech head coach, Jeff Collins, former head coach, uh, here in Philadelphia at temple university. And I asked coach because he's got a couple guys um, that you know were not invited to the combine that tested pretty well. And he actually they actually had a couple guys last year that kind of fell, fell in that same boat, but that stuck with NFL teams. And so I asked him what goes into that. What are some of the things uh, that he preaches that have really helped these guys stick? Here's that answer right here. Hey, coach, how's it going? So, uh, you know, you talked about Jalen and what he can do, what he's done for you on special teams. And when you have a receiver who obviously, you know, he came in different kind of offensive scheme um, early in his career. uh, When you look at trying to project into the NFL, how important is that special teams background for him and other guys that, you know, maybe they're skilled players, uh, you know, by label. But when you have that kind of height, weight, speed and that proven ability uh, on special teams, what does that mean for him making that jump? Yeah, and it's huge. And we emphasize that. The guys that are on the beat hear it all the time. Uh, and every single day we start with a special teams meeting. Every single player in the organization are in those meetings. Uh, so everybody knows how important that is to us. And then Nathan Cottrell, uh, a year ago, he had one carry for negative one yards. And he made an NFL roster because of special teams. Tyler Davis played tight end for us. I think he had like 17 catches made the NFL because of special teams value. Uh, and then we have the Ray Guy Award winner, but it's because we had gunners like Jaitlin Askew, Nathan Cottrell, uh, Josh Blancato being able to let Presley use his amazing talent to do that. The biggest piece, and, and the guys that are on the beat have heard this, is having guys that are size speed guys to be able to play all four special teams and be core guys. Jalen Camp embodies that. Um, I don't know what his official numbers were, but I think he was in the mid 220s and a 39 inch vertical. But the biggest thing is the mentality and the mindset. He wants to play special teams. He values playing special teams and he has the ability to do it. But then when you get him in there and he starts playing receiver, too, that's awesome. He's a tremendous receiver, unbelievable young man, great work ethic. And he values playing special teams at a very high level. And he does it unselfishly and wants to help the team uh, in every phase. So just having examples like that in the last two years in our program, it's aspirational, it's inspirational for all the young guys in the program that understand that special teams does matter. And that is a clear shot uh, to the NFL if you make sure you take that into account every single day in that development. All right, guys. So uh, as you can hear there from Jeff Collins, I, I kind of teed that up in the question was uh, when you have height, weight, speed athletes who have proven experience on special teams, right? So uh, you've got some upside to you in terms of uh, the tools and the skill set that you bring to the table, but then also you have a, a, that ability to right away battle for a special teams job. And I feel like that's, that's the profile of guys in this draft in particular, because Dane, I think you said it best earlier. 
you've got to be clean as well off the field, you know, in terms of medical and, and off field. But I think when you're looking at uh, the guys on field, what are the skill sets they bring? If you show that you have a high floor with your special teams contributions, but then also high ceiling with your traits, I feel like that's a, an easy pathway to being drafted despite not being a combine invite this year. And I think a good example of that would be Maryland running back Jake Funk. And this is a guy who was transferred. He's been in a couple different schools. He's a, uh, he tested well at his pro day. Again, was not a combine invite, but there was a clip that uh, Lance Zerline had put out. Or it was like a week ago or so uh, of him running down on kickoff and just blowing up the returner. So you're talking about all right, this guy can come in. He's going to compete on special teams. He's a high-level athlete. By the way, at a position where the numbers aren't great this year, I think the running back class overall is a little bit shallow. So I feel like, okay, he's at a position that's a little bit shy. He's at a, uh, He's got the special teams background, and he's got the height, weight, speed. Uh, I think that will play very, very well for him. So I figured I'd just kind of bounce around to you guys. Is there another player or two that kind of fits that? Ben, uh, let me come to you first. Is there a player that you feel kind of fits this mold uh, as someone who can come in despite not being a combine invite and get drafted? Yeah, absolutely. I think I have an ideal candidate, and that's Boise State corner Avery Williams, who has been a special teams darling throughout his career, prolific returner, also has a handful of blocks, handful of plays as a gunner as well on punk coverage. But this is a four-year starter on defense, over 2,500 snaps, experienced, versatile, playing left corner, right corner, nickel, variety of schemes, press man, bail, some zone stuff, special teams, stalwart. He's checking all the boxes of a guy you want to fill out the back end of your roster with. Mm. And also a guy that's shown up on the freak list for his, you know, weightlifting, uh, you know, prowess. So this is a strong kid, an explosive kid, a productive kid, an experienced kid. A lot of box checking right there. No question. I think that's a perfect profile in terms of what we're talking about. Guys that uh, could still get drafted despite the fact uh, that he's not a combine invite. Dane, is there another guy that comes to mind there? Well, just real quick on Avery Williams. I... It's hard to find guys that have this type of resume in terms of special teams. Uh, nine career touchdowns, which is crazy. Five punt returns, three kick returns, one blocked punt return. Five blocks in his career, three punts, one field goal, one extra point, And then another forced fumble on kickoff coverage. I don't remember ever seeing a guy with that type of resume on special teams before. So, you know, he's, he's a small guy. Um, You know, he's not the biggest. And so, you know, teams are going to be split on what he's going to offer you on defense uh, as a corner, but special teams wise, my goodness, that that's just a remarkable uh, resume to have to offer. Um, And, you know, and I'm glad you brought up Jake Funk because he's really interesting. I think the injury stuff is going to hurt him a little bit, uh, you know, back-to-back years with ACLs. Yep. But yeah, he, he's a, he's a fun player um, and doesn't have a ton of production on offense. But when he got the ball, he made plays. Um, a guy that really stood out to me uh, who maybe fits this mold, uh, Kone Nuwangu, running back at Iowa State, uh, big time track guy, 10, uh, 5, 400 meters in high school. Uh, he has the the uh, record at Iowa State for kick return yardage uh, average, 26.9. He's third in Big 12 history in kick return yardage. Size, speed, the coaches rave about him, the type of player that he is. I, he's got a shot, so I think he's another guy that fits the bill. I'm going to be honest. Uh, I don't believe he is on my list of players. So I've, you're adding new names for me uh, as go. we get Check close to out. April. I don't, I don't like it, but uh, I do like the suggestion there. Um 
the, obviously a player that we talked about there with coach uh, was Jalen Camp, the Georgia Tech wide receiver, who's you know six three, over two hundred pounds, and uh, you know really explosive athlete, straight line guy. Another guy that was on the on the freak list, uh, two year starter on special teams. So um, again, we're talking about all these kind of guys and the kind of impact uh, that they can bring. Now, uh, yeah, really quick, Fran. Oh, I just before we put Avery uh, Williams to bed. Yeah, I'm as stunned about him not getting a combine invite as anybody in the last three years. If mm-hmm. I had to put it out there, this is a guy that's already virtually met with a bunch of teams. It's been out there publicly. It's also been reported through some insiders. So as a guy NFL teams have been on and still not get an invite. And just to comment on his frame, he's listed at 5'9", 195 has pushed over 200 a couple of years at Boise. This is kind of a thick core guy. This is a guy yeah. that is a tough guy. This isn't some 5'9", 175 nickel. I think he has pretty good size, pretty good toughness. And just to you know, put a cap to it, hmm. as stunned uh, as anybody uh, that he didn't get the invite. Yep, uh, that's fair. Um, uh, Jalen Camp, he killed his workout. Yep. Uh, I've got his pro day numbers in front of me. 6017, so 6'2", 226 pounds. He ran a 445. Yep. Uh, 39 and a half inch vert, 10 5 broad, uh, 29 on the bench, which it's going to make a lot of offensive linemen jealous. So <laughs> 33 and a half inch arms. I, I mean, yeah. As a receiver, I mean, he, he, his his routes drift with the wind, and you know he he doesn't. He's very very unpolished as a receiver. But what are we talking about right now? We're talking about guys that you're betting on traits, late round players who can show up on special teams. Jalen Camp's a great example. Yeah, I thought his Florida State tape was pretty good. I'm turning him into a Quincy Anunwa type of guy, maybe an H back, went over the middle of the field. He's 6'2", 225, with pretty good hands, good athleticism. I don't think receiver is his right projection. Interesting. Uh, a guy that uh, certainly, again, you would put factor into that workout warrior uh, category. And that's going to be our transition now uh, into our workout warrior segment here. Is there a guy from a pro day standpoint, when we're, the numbers are pouring in, that has really stood out to you? Ben, I'll go to you first. Well, we're going to have to go with this corner, Robert Rochelle out of Central Arkansas. I thought he had a great workout last week. He's a tall, long corner, but the speed ran sub 4439, 11-1 broad, 43-inch vertical with those 35 and a half inch arms. Pretty good change of direction and uh movement drills as well with a six three or six eight three three cone. Pretty good short shuttle. This is a guy that checked all the boxes he need to uh on his pro day working out in shorts and a t-shirt. When you go put the tape on, it checks out. You know, he's a good press man corner, a little raw. You know, and his techniques, a little grabby at times, kind of took advantage of some competition with some natural skills. But uh, he's a really interesting player and might be that next best tall, long press corner after the top three. He was the guy who went down to the senior bowl, uh, you know, had a decent week down there. You pair, pair that with his tape and that obviously the, the workout, uh, just kind of stacking things on top of each other. And I think Jimmy Morrissey, the center from Pitt, uh, is another guy who kind of fits that mold. You know, he was a late call up to the senior bowl, got called. I talked to him about this uh, after his pro day workout. He got called on Friday at like 1130 after he finished working out. Uh, Jim Nagy got on the phone with him and was like, hey, you know, like, uh, you know, we really liked you throughout the process. We're really sorry that we couldn't invite you until now, but uh, we've had some injuries, some back outs like can you make it down here and he was in Pensacola it's an hour away got he, he packed his bag he went down uh he got there that afternoon met with met with I think it was the Panthers that he met with um you know and they they gave him his playbook and and off he was off we went and he would play in the game the next morning uh so not only that looked pretty good in the game while I went through the tape uh you know you know so to, to see a guy handle that kind of adversity uh I thought was impressive then he goes to the, the pro deck 
the two big drills for interior offensive linemen that you know everybody's worried about from an athletic standpoint. What's your 10-yard split, and what is your short shuttle? I feel like those are the two best in terms of uh, kind of showing off what you could bring to the table from an interior O-line standpoint. He went 1-6-8 in the 10-yard split. He went 4-4-6 in the short shuttle. Those are both outstanding numbers for interior offensive line when you pit that against uh, guys that have been drafted in the interior over the last decade. I mean, you're talking like 90-plus percentile for both of those numbers, and all the other numbers were very good as well. So uh, Jimmy Morrissey, Puts on a, he did a great job uh, coming down late to the senior bowl. He's been a longtime starter, four year starter for the Panthers, uh, former walk on. All right. So he's going to bring everything you want from an intangible standpoint. And then for him to do what he did there, uh, I think he kind of locked his, uh, locked his name there in terms of uh, being drafted. I mean, former walk on, no FBS offers. He's from Philly. I mean, he's yep. surprised for him. That's just pure grit right there. Yeah, exactly. It's Philly grit without, without <laughs> question. Uh, Dave, I, 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 I give him. I give him credit. I mean, how many guys would not have made that trip to no doubt. the senior bowl? I've, 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 there have been plenty of examples that of guys that have been late call-ups to the senior bowl, uh, like maybe that week or even a week before, and have said, eh, you know what, no thanks, because they were so jaded. They didn't get it. In, they weren't part of that first wave. And, you know, oh, you don't think that highly of me. And, you know, they, they, they have a negative approach to it where you have a guy like Jimmy Morrissey, who was the opposite. He sees the positive here. He's, oh, I get a chance. It's not that you didn't like me enough to bring me down before. Yep. It's I have a chance to go prove myself, even if I don't have a lot of time to practice and get ready and all that. So I give him, I mean, there was a, a the Wisconsin linebacker who was with the Eagles. Um, he, he was one of, he was the opposite of the guy that passed up the senior bowl. Cause he was a little upset. He didn't get an early invite. Um, the Wisconsin kid. I can't remember his name. TJ Edwards. Yeah. TJ Edwards. He was one of those guys who passed up the senior bowl because he was upset. He wasn't one of the first ones, but you know, it's just, I give, uh, I give Morrissey a lot of credit. Um, another workout warrior. I mean, I got to go with your guy, friend Milton Williams. Bring the bell. Cre- Bring the bell credit. Yeah. He, I mean, I, you're going to get your 2% here. Um, <laughs> he, uh, what's like six weeks ago, you brought him up as a guy that was, flashing on tape for you and i mean he the buzz started before his pro day now the buzz will be out of control uh six three 284 pounds four six three and a one six five forty ten thirty half in it 38 and a half inch vert which is just it's silly. the best that's the best of any d tackle drafted in the last 10 years man Un- unreal unreal <laughs> record number uh, 10-1 broad, uh, 4-3-3 short shuttle, 6-9-6 in the three cone. Anything yep. under seven is remarkable. And then 34 benches, uh, bench press reps. So, uh, I mean, really the only negative it was the arm length, 31 and a half, uh, which is, was a little surprising. I don't. Mm. He doesn't always play like a long-armed long player, but he yep. didn't necessarily play like a short-armed player. So 31 and a half inch was a little surprising. You want to see you know, at least close to 33, uh, there, but still this guy's destined for a pick somewhere in the top 75. It's just, just a matter of how high he's going to go. Well, let's go. Well, uh, let's stay in the trenches here as we transition now, uh, to our offensive tackle preview. Last week, we talked about the interior guys, guys that we felt would be guards and centers this week. Some of these players might be guards, but we feel like they have guard tackle flexibility. And so, uh, we'll start just the way we started last week. Let's start with our best run blocker. Dane, uh, I'll come to you. Kick us off day one or day two best run blocker that people need to know about. Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of good candidates here. Alex Leatherwood comes to mind. Um, you know, the, there's a few others, but I, I mean, I, I have to go penny school, uh, yeah. flies out of a stance. Uh, he's outstanding in space. 
uh, key blocks in the perimeter on the second level against linebackers. He, he moves so well uh, carrying all that mass. Uh, it keeps his feet moving at contact. He can create movement, um, powerful grip. So once he locks on, he can control rushers. So he's a, uh, above average, uh, run blocker. Uh, I think there, there are times where he can be out angled a little bit. And so, you know, he's got room to improve, but for a guy as young as he is, uh, should only continue to get better. I mean, this is, I feel like this is a pro Penny Sewell, uh, podcast. We, we all view him as one of the three best players, four or five best players in this draft. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, I think, you know, that's not uh, goes without saying, I feel like he's a little bit um, polarizing that there are some people that are like, yeah, like good player, not necessarily great player, uh, still room to grow. But when you consider everything that he's done, everything he's put on film, he's never not taken a snap as a teenager. Like, I mean, the guy's been at 19 years old was the last time he stepped on the field. So, uh, this, the uh, sea the sky is, uh, the, you know, the ceiling as people like to say, uh, for this kid, this guy's really, really high upside. Uh, let's go now to, uh, to mine. And I'm going to go with another player that I feel, look, this guy's going to go a little bit higher. I think than people feel, and that's Tevin Jenkins, the offensive lineman from Oklahoma state. He's got t- experience at both tackle spots. Uh, I think he could be an all pro guard as well. I think when you look at Jenkins, his power, stands up on or stands up on film. And what's impressive to me most about that is that it's not like Oklahoma state is, you know, the known for their run game and they're blowing people off the ball. Uh, yeah. It's in the big 12. Uh, and you're going to see a lot of you know, him playing in two point stance and everything like that. He comes off the ball and he mashes people. He moves people, uh, whether it's vertical displacement plays, uh, you know, whether he's on the move and, you know, used as a puller or out in space, the way that you see his power uh, and ability to move people on contact against their will really, really stands out. And, He's just a finisher, too. I mean, we're we're going to talk about that category a little bit later. Uh, the way that he puts guys on their back, really, really impressive player. So a little bit raw in terms of, you know, you might have to project him a little bit. Uh, you want to get a little bit more consistency. If you look at the big picture uh, in terms of Jenkins over the course of his career, uh, hasn't always been this level of player. But he was outstanding this year as a senior. You look at the matchup against Texas and, uh, you know, really a couple of their other big games this year before he ultimately opted out at the end of the year. He is a uh, really, really impressive player. Uh, Ben, let's go to you for day three. Best run blocker in your mind for the third day of the draft. I'm going to go at left tackle Jackson Carmen out of Clemson, who I think is a better projection uh, to move inside to guard at 6'5", nearly 340 pounds. Has kind of that Cody Ford, you know, Brandon Brooks profile to him, who both played tackle to their college careers. But you just see that thick barrel chest, people mover, quick surge off the ball, can really fire into defenders, heavy-handed. Um, at 345, he is just a massive human being. He is tough to get around. He moves people. He jolts people. Has some technique issues here and there. But he's a young kid, an experienced kid for Clemson. Um, and I think his best football is that run block. And has some issues in pass pro here and there. Has some issues in space. But I think slide him into left or right guard. I think he'd be a nice pro. I was just going to ask you if you felt like you'd be a better fit at tackle or guard. Um, yeah. And I think some people will ding him on the arm length. So I know his arm length came in a little bit, sh- uh, you know, short uh, at the pro day, but uh, yeah. I think guard's I, I, a nice I, spot. Same thing with I the Missouri right tackle, Larry Borum, similar yep. type of type of profile prospect, you know, the big barrel chest guy, yep. more of a run blocking type, not really great in space, but uh, for the right scheme, a kind of a power scheme uh, type of offense. I agree. Uh, so Jackson Carmen, he goes into Cle- goes to Clemson, uh, starts from day one as a freshman, uh, and that could, the same could be said about uh, the guy I want to bring up for my best pass protector, day one or day two. I feel like this guy's going to be one of the wild cards of the draft. Like if this guy goes round four, not surprised. If he goes 
you know, round two, not surprised. If he sneaks into round one, it'll be shocking, but I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh man, I don't know what this team is thinking. I'm talking about Stanford left tackle Walker Little, a guy that we've seen play one game in two calendar years, uh, got hurt at the in week one of the 2019 season, opted out for 2020. So we really only have one full season of tape uh, and only a little bit from this past year in 2019 as well. So you have very little to go off of. Didn't go to the senior ball. So we get the pro day workout. He worked out very well uh, at Stanford's pro day last week. But when you just watch the film of what he did last year as a sophomore against Northwestern, just one game, he looked like a first round pick all day. He was really impressive, really light feet, technically sound. He could move people in the run game. I mean, everything uh, you would hope for from a guy that was a former big time recruit. Uh, Walker Little showed that in that game. Just a matter. I mean, it was it was a long time ago, right? It was a long, long time ago. So uh, it's gonna there's gonna be a lot of projection. There's gonna uh, I think whoever if you do take them high, there's gonna be a little bit of uneasiness in in the draft room would be my guess, guys. But uh, Walker Little, a fascinating player. I can't wait to see where he ends mm-hmm. up. Like he's one of the more <laughs> interesting storylines in this class. Ben, uh, who's another guy? Best pass protector, day one or day two in this group. Well, I'll take the low-hanging fruit here, and we'll go with Penny Sewell. Mm-hmm. I just think he has adequate athleticism, bend, flexibility, length to be a elite pass protector. Very calm, square pass sets with good bend, good posture, eyes up, always able to see second-level blitzers and stunts because of that posture. Has the foot quickness and athleticism to run the arc against speed, can react to inside moves, all those boxes you're checking, you know, in pass protection. Has some technique stuff in the run game and firing out of the blocks. I think we can clean up pass protection. He's as good as it gets. Uh, Dane, uh, I, I mean, we, we talked about Penny Sewell earlier. You talked about from a run block right. standpoint. Let's go to yours now for uh, day three. Day three pass protector. I'm going to go with Florida Stone Forsyth here. Um, oh, good one. Interesting. Yeah. Well, about a month ago, um, our buddy Lance Erline, uh brought him up on our uh, Prospects to Pros podcast, and I hadn't done him yet. And um, so when I finally got around to him, I was pretty impressed. He's massive, but he doesn't move like a a slug or a statue. He, he's got that wide base. He's got enough range in his kick slide that we can stay square. Um, he uses his length to keep rushers at bay. His upright posture will – it hurts his ability to quickly recover, but he's got a natural feel for controlling his body uh, and pass protection. Mm-hmm. So I graded him as a fourth-round pick, uh, and it's primarily due to his pass rush skills. He's a pretty good player. Uh, he's one of two people that I studied uh, last week uh, in preparation for this podcast where uh, I was like, all right, like not a lot of buzz on him, but I feel like he's like almost a, a definite starter in the NFL. Like, I, I watched Stone Forsyth and felt, yeah, this guy's going to play in the league. There are plenty of guys that look like him in the NFL. Maybe not a true dancing bear, but a guy that just he looks the part. I felt like Forsyth uh, really kind of checked a lot of boxes for me. Uh, let's Do you think to- he goes top 100? Do you think he goes... Early day I, three. I, I think he's probably more in that like latter part of top hundred to early day yeah. three. But again, yeah. like I just feel like there's going to be so much variety with teams across the board at all these positions, not just O line. So, like, if Stone Forsythe, I watched him, I'm like, yeah, like this is a good player. I felt again, I felt like he could start. So, if, if someone took Stone Forsythe in round two and everybody and their mother is pounding the table, saying, oh, what a reach, what a terrible pick by insert team name. I'm looking, I'm like, yeah, like, all right, well, this guy's going to start. Like, I know yeah. we were talking about it, but I felt, I watched him. I, I liked the player um, on the other side of the, you know, maybe he goes like fifth round and I'm like, what are these teams doing? <laughs> but uh, he was a guy I really liked. How do you kind of view it? Do you feel like he's going to go in that range? Yeah. That, and that's kind of where I, I put an early fourth round grade on him thinking like, you know, I, I, cause I do, I agree with you. I think he's going to start in the league. Um, and it's, it's hard because when you stack them, okay, well, you've, 
put him against a guy like, you know, Spencer Brown, uh, who's obviously so raw, uh, but he's got upside or, you know, like a Brady Christensen from BYU, who I think, you know, in that similar range, uh, you know, it gets difficult when you try to stack these guys, but yeah, I think I agree with you. I think he's a, he's a player that you project as a starter in the league. All right, let's go to our uh, best technicians here. Ben, I'm going to come to you now to start Uh, day one or day two offensive tackle, best technician. Who's a guy that comes to mind for you? Well, I feel like this guy's draft buzz has been on a roller coaster. I feel like it peaked during the season and really haven't heard too much uh, in the past couple of months. And that's Liam Eichenberg, left tackle at Notre Dame, who is really just a ho-hum left tackle. Reminds me of the way I was watching Andre Dillard at Washington State, where you're never wowed. Then you watch four games and you realize, huh, nobody ever sniffed the quarterback. And, you know, he moved all his guys in the run game, constantly ran off his butt, did all the right things. That's why I think calling him the best technician is appropriate because I don't think he has elite strength. I don't think he has elite athleticism. I don't think he has elite size or quickness or length or any of those, you know, uh, you know, attributes to kind of separate himself from a physical standpoint, but he's so technically sound. He is not going to be the one to make the mistake and that's going to get him to win 85%, 90% of snaps just based off of that. Now, once we start getting to some elite competition and now his elite traits have to show up, we'll see what happens. But uh, I thought he was one of the darlings of the college football season. And the two names I have written down in that same ho-hum category, Anthony Costanzo, Mitchell Schwartz, mm. two great tackles in the NFL over the last five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years. I know Costanzo just retired, but another two guys that won't wow you, but just do their job on a down-to-down basis. Love it. Uh, Dane, let's go to you. Uh, who's a guy day one or day two that fits the bill here for you for best technician? Well, I've got to go Rashawn Slater. Uh, very technically proficient, uh, eager physical hands. Uh, he's got a quick coil, uh, keeps his, his, his uh, punch square. Um, he just, he understands uh, how to play the position in terms of angles and uh, his steps and, you know, depth, uh, you know, things like that. So, um, uh, what I love most about Rashawn Slater is how he locks up pass rushers before they can do anything. You saw that against Chase Young. You saw that, you know, on his tape, he, he stays connected, uh, due to his leveraged attack. And that helps him, you know, before rushers can set up their moves or counter or do these things, he shuts them down. Um, uh, and it really, it goes to his aggressiveness and his technique to, to get away with that. So, not the longest guy, not the biggest guy, uh, but he, he moves well and he's very, very technically sound. So Rashawn Slater gets my vote here. Uh, you know, Dane, all- his physical profile, he has this like bubble butt and the massive thighs and the tree trunk legs, but he's not some 325, 330 tackle. You think yeah. he's going to be this mauler, this kind of brute strong guy. He really wins with balance and technique more than anything else. I just think his body profile kind of throws your eye off a little bit because he's built a little bit like a pair, but he's only 305 on my sheet. I agree. And that's why some teams are going to view him as a tackle. Some are going to view him as a guard. Some even have him on the board as a center. Um, And I don't don't want to look at it as a right or wrong type of thing. I think it's just he he has – and I I don't say this loosely. I mean, he is one of the few that actually I think has functional five-position versatility, and that's – you know, that gets through, versatility when it comes to offensive linemen, I think it's thrown around way too much because a lot of these guys, you know, uh, don't necessarily have that versatility, but I, I think Slater does. 
Yeah, there's a couple guys I feel like have impressive versatility in this class, and I think Slater, just in terms of the the wide variety of outcomes for him in terms of where people see him landing, uh, is really really fascinating. Uh, it's kind of weird, all three of us picking pl- offensive linemen uh, from the Midwest. Who would have guessed that? Because uh, I'm going to go with Nebraska's offensive tackle Brendan James, and you know everyone kind of points to Rashawn Slater and they say, "Oh man, you know, watch him against Chase Young, watch him against Chase Young, watch him against Chase Young," and that was certainly a, a solid tape for Rashawn Slater. I would look at Brendan James and say, yeah, watch him against Chase Young. Watch him against some of the Ohio State defensive fronts that he's had to face over his career. Nebraska has played him every single year that he's been a starter, and he's held up very well. I think he's a really solid player. He's not going to wow you with his movement. He's not going to wow you with his power, but he's technically sound. He's really active with his hands. I think he surfaces blocks really well in the run game. He's just always doing things the way you want it to look uh, on film. He's just not going to wow you off the hoof. But I think this is a guy who definitely is going to make it in the NFL. I thought he was a high-floor player. Um, so when I'm looking at day three offensive line technicians, uh, he would be a guy that pops to mind. I think he was one of the guys that easily slid under the radar senior bowl week. Do you guys have any uh, kind of elevator speech takeaways from his time there? I know he dabbled a little bit inside. Uh, from time to time, but 41 starts down at Nebraska, 2,700 snaps, experienced player. Kind of going through my mental role deck saying, hmm, what did I take away from the senior bowl? I might have to rewatch him. I'm looking at my notes here. I didn't have anything that was like, oh man, like he just got completely overwhelmed. Um, there were a couple of reps uh, where he played at left tackle where I thought he struggled. I thought he was better over on the right side uh, over the course of the week of practice, but uh, I don't have anything strong one way or the other uh, going back through my notes, just taking a little glance at it. Yeah, I was, I was pleasantly surprised with him, both with his tape and what he did the senior bowl. I didn't have high expectations going in, but, and he's not a guy that's going to control, uh, you know, consistently with his power or anything like that, like you were saying, but he can stalemate guys. And in the NFL, if you're stalemating uh, NFL rushers, you're doing your job. So, um, you know, uh, he, he's he's a good player who I don't know that's going to be a, a starter in the league, but you're looking for a solid depth piece. A guy that's got left tackle, right tackle experience. Uh, James makes sense. Uh, along the offensive line, everybody's always looking for the toughness and the finish element of their game. How do they finish blocks? And so we're going to talk about our best finishers here. Uh, day one or day two, Dane, who's a guy uh, in the first couple rounds that you feel best fits this category? I know we already talked about him, but I got to go back to Tevin Jenkins. Um, I, when this guy's got a, sh- a chance to go for the kill shot, he will not pass it up. Uh, he he will uh, send defenders into tomorrow with uh, with the way he plays. And so, and it's funny, you, you see his headshot and you say, oh, it looks like a looks like a, a well-mannered, nice young man. And then you get him on the football field and, you know, he looks like he's going to take your head off. And you love that about him. You love that grit, that tenacity. Um, and so, uh, and it's, it, it, he doesn't sacrifice his balance to do it. Um, he's very measured with how he, how he attacks, but uniquely powerful and just a, cons- a consistent finisher with how he plays the game. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Elijah Vera Tucker from USC. We haven't talked about him yet. Uh, I think he's one of our, as a group, a collective, uh, as a collective group, one of our favorite blockers in this in this draft. Whether it's at tackle, whether it's guard, he's played both spots over the course of his career uh, down there with the Trojans, and I love his ability to finish blocks in the run game and in the pass game. He is not a passive pass protector. Uh, he is always looking for work. He is always trying to drive defenders to the ground. Really fun player, six four three fifteen. Um, so a little bit on the shorter side if you're looking at him as a tackle. But uh, this is a young player, two year starter, a little bit of a 
projection because he's coming from the air raid offense, uh, just in terms of the uniqueness, in terms of the way they play along the line. But uh, he has got really strong hands. He has got uh, strength in terms of his ability to hold up uh, against bull rushers. And that versatility is going to serve him well. Uh, I know we all like Elijah Vera Tucker. And I think in terms of finishing, he's one of the best in this draft. Ben, uh, let's come to you for day three guy. Two guys that I have in the same bucket here on day three as kind of developmental tackles. I think they're about a year or two away, but what they bring is length, great athletic pedigree, and this nasty edge. And that's Deontay Smith out of East Carolina and James Hudson out of Cincinnati. Both guys are a little raw, a little inexperienced, but they are massive tackles with great feet. And at the end of the day, have a nasty play temperament. And I can always work with a guy like that. I think they're maybe a year or two away from starting, but I think someone's going to get them in the fourth, fifth round and uh, never look back. Oh, gosh, that'd be a steal. If yeah. they, I'd be shocked if either one fell out of the top 100. I mean, they're they're just they're they're good players um, that, yeah, I, I think you might be right about not being immediate starters. Right, yeah. There, there's just so much ability with both of them. And, I mean, I think you're right about – the the traits but also the finishing too it's it's a big part of what they do i feel like there was a lot of buzz about hudson in particular uh senior bowl week in terms of him yeah. maybe sneaking into the top 50 even uh i agree with you ben in that they're they are not ready made out of the box uh deontay smith only played like he's like walker little he only played one game uh but it was just this past year whereas little you gotta go back to 2019 uh but smith only played one game this year but both guys like feet finisher mentality they've got length uh impressive prospects that some people would view as sleepers. And that's going to be our next category here as we get close to wrapping this up. Uh, ben, who's your top sleeper uh, in this class, regardless of round or value in terms of uh, draft deck? Well, my top sleeper is going to be Brady Christensen, left tackle at BYU, only because Zach Wilson has sucked every ounce of buzz out of any <laughs> other prospect uh, from that roster. So they have a couple guys in the offensive line. We've talked about Tristan Hodge, Chandon Herring, but Brady Christensen at left tackle, I think is an outstanding player and is going to be a great pro three-year starter. Anyone that runs any sort of wide zone outside zone scheme, I think he's going to be outstanding, really good quickness, athleticism, a little bit in the undersize kind of Ezra Cleveland ballpark, you know, a little sub 300 there, but he's a reliable pass protector and he's going to be a great zone offensive lineman for somebody. Dane, let's go to you. I'm going to go with uh, a really interesting player at a UMass, uh, Larnell Coleman. Uh, he undersized, goes to UMass, puts on 60 pounds, and I think that you have an NFL player here. Uh, large athletic frame, impressive movement skills, really impressed with the way he moved, the flexibility. Um, there's, he's still learning how to use everything, uh, you know, his length, he does, he needs to learn how to weaponize his hands. Um, you know, his weight transfer can be inconsistent. So still very raw, uh, in several areas, a guy that's not ready to see NFL action, but his issues are mostly coachable. Uh, the size is there. The athleticism is there. The character's there. So I, he, to me, he is the ideal developmental tackle for a patient coaching staff, a guy that you can get in the late rounds. Well, Dane, you've uh, gone and pissed me off because that's now two players that you've mentioned so far on the pod that were not on my nice. list. Uh, so now you just added work onto my plate before we get to draft day. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to go with the guy. Here. Yeah, exactly. Um, Guys, I was, I'm sitting by myself in my basement. That's where I have to watch film uh, these days. And I'm watching Tommy Doyle, the tackle from Miami, Ohio, last week. Um, and I'm looking around my empty basement. There's like, you know, little kid toys. And there's like cat toys laying around and like just random stuff. And I'm like, 
are you guys seeing what I'm seeing here? Like I'm watching him saying like this guy, looks like a starting tackle in the NFL. It's kind of what we were talking about with Hudson and with Deontay Smith, where he's not a finished product yet, but at six, eight, 326 pounds. This guy is not a slug off the ball. He comes off. Well, he's a unique athlete at his size. He's got a bully mentality in terms of finishing powerful player. He moved Mac defenders around uh, without blinking really strong and tough to move in terms of trying to take on a bull rush. Uh, He's got things to clean up from a technical standpoint. No question. Uh, But this kid's athletic. He's got great size. He's got experience playing left tackle and right tackle. Uh, I just looked at this kid saying, like, why is there not more buzz about Tommy Doyle from Miami, Ohio? Dane, uh, you got any answers for me there? Why is there not more buzz about this kid? He's like a clone of Stone Forsythe, almost yeah, similar he height, yep. height, weight, everything. I actually think Tommy Doyle is a little bit uh, more NFL ready. I, to me, I watch him. I'm like, I would take him ahead of a couple of other names that are like big name players from big name programs that are being talked about as like, you know, second round picks. And, you know, that like I looked at Doyle as like, a, he's a he's a good player. He's a, they have a really experienced center, too, that just transferred to Oklahoma State for 2021. Mm-hmm. Just throwing that out there. There you go. Well, Bye. if not for the pandemic, I mean, we only got this. The Mac had what a five game season. And I think Miami, Ohio only had three games this year. So that certainly plays a factor here because, I mean, he had. Uh, like third, fourth round grades coming into the year from scouts. Um, And, you know, I love his background too. Like he was a big hockey guy, you know, growing up in Minnesota, uh, big time hockey player. He didn't really play football a lot until high school. Uh, And even in high school, he was a linebacker that he was on the, he wanted to play defensive line. He played a little bit of offensive line, finally got an offer, goes to Miami of Ohio they put him on the offensive line and he grows from there. Um, it, 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 there are a lot of injuries earlier in his career, but the last two years he's really blossomed. So I, I'm with you. He's a good player. Uh, I mean, definitely a draft pick. Um, yep. It's just trying to figure out how early to take him. Some of these really tall guys are tough to fill out their lower half. Spencer Brown has been going through that. Tommy Doyle is 6'8", 325, and his pants are like baggy on his butt. He says no bend, no anchor, but he's so strong, so big in the upper half. He could kind of keep rushers at bay. Uh, might be a problem at the next level, but Jared Veld here has survived the same way. Yep. So we'll see. That's a good one. Uh, let's go down to our player cops to wrap up this tackle group. Dane, I'll come to you first. Brandon Thorne, uh, uh, you know, our, our, our good buddy. Uh, he and I were trading notes on some of these offensive line prospects. And he mentioned Eric Flowers for Jackson Carmen. And I love oh. that. I, I, so Brandon, I'm stealing your comp here, but I'm mentioning your name. So you still get credit. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's a great fit. I mean, they're better run blockers and pass protectors. Uh, the physical ingredients are there, but there are questions about range, overall consistency. Flowers was drafted as a tackle, but he's been a much better <clears throat> guard in the pros. I think it'll be similar for Carmen. Uh, he could probably survive a tackle. Maybe a team will try him out there. But like we mentioned before, I think his skill set's uh, much better suited inside. Interesting. Uh, I'm going to go a similar kind of height, weight, speed profile where, uh, and even kind of like an experience profile, James Hudson, uh, the tackle from Cincinnati that we talked about, he is a converted defensive lineman has only been playing O-line now for a couple of years, really only one year as a starter goes to the senior bowl. I thought he was a solid, solid week. He had some losses down there in mobile, but he, he looked pretty good. Uh, I would say his senior bowl week was a little bit better than this player. And that player that I'm referring to is TJ Clemmings when he was coming out of pit. Now Clemmings had some first round buzz, 
leading up. It was like in the back end of his senior year and then going into the senior bowl. And he had a little bit of a rough week uh, down there. Ended up being, I think, a late day two selection by the Minnesota Vikings. He was a tackle guard convert, so he moved inside, but he was a converted defensive lineman, uh, a guy that had that finisher's mentality and you kind of point, oh, he plays like a defensive player along the offensive line, uh, but he was a mess technically. Things they had to clean up for with his hands and with his feet, uh, but dancing bear type of traits in terms of his light feet and his quickness and things of that nature. I look at Hudson the same way, kind of what we talked about earlier, not a finished product, but upside. And I look at, I looked at TJ Clemmings in a similar vein when he was coming out, he did not quite meet that upside. Doesn't mean that Hudson can't, uh, but I think similar kind of career arcs up to this point in their career. Uh, Ben, take us home here. Yeah. Two quick ones. Deontay Smith, East Carolina, kind of a raw player, undersized, easy comp to Matt Pert at UConn. I think I ended up going to the Giants in round three or four last year, if I'm not mistaken, which was a little early, but uh, very athletic prospects. And Tevin Jenkins has been a tough one to find an appropriate comp for. Reminds me a lot of Brian Bulaga out of Iowa, where just their physical profile looks like a refrigerator wearing cleats. They're not going to be athletic. They're not going to be able to run the arc on speed. And they have no problems with anything athletic or movement-wise. So a guy that may not have the physical profile, may not have that angular frame that we all want in everybody seemingly these days, but he gets the job done. He's strong. He's tough. He's athletic. Just may not look the part off the cuff. I like it. All right, guys. Well, let's, uh, we've talked about a bunch of players now, but we're going to talk about a few more here in our next segment. Let's, uh, let's play a little GM here in On the Clock. On the Clock. All right, guys, let's kick things off here with Dane. Uh, as you are now going to play the role of the Miami Dolphins, and you, if you guys are longtime listeners, you know the rules by now. If you're new, here's what we do. We have a randomizer set up to s- select randomly, random NFL team, random NFL position, and then a random part of the draft. So Dane gets a first-round selection here, and we're going to call it not the third overall pick, but uh, with their second pick in round one, Miami Dolphins with a defensive lineman. And when I put this into the randomizer, that gave her the flexibility to go defensive tackle or edge. So with a flexible front, you get some flexibility here, Dane, in telling us what you're looking for. Defensive line, round one, Miami Dolphins. All right, so our defense, uh, we we utilize both even and odd fronts. Um, we're looking for pass rushers. We want guys that can set a stout edge, but you know, guys that can get after the quarterback. Uh, and maybe we're looking for guys that are not um, role specific, guys that can reduce inside. Uh, they can play on either side of the tackle, provide a little bit of juice off the edge that we're looking for. So. Um, regardless of the angle, the pass rush angle, they, they, they can win. Um, so 23rd pick overall, what, what options are we looking at? So I will play the role of the scouting staff for Miami. And, and we've uh, talked about this here on the show in the past. It's a, a, they're a big school operation, height, weight, speed operation. And I, and I'm look, uh, look, they took Raekwon Davis. We took great. I should say we, we took Raekwon Davis, uh, last year out of Alabama. Uh, maybe look at his teammate, Christian Barmore. I think that that's kind of where we're talking about in terms of his overall upside, what he could be for us. We can line him up, up and down the line. Maybe it's a little bit early, but in terms of his overall ceiling, you would argue that this would be right, right where he would be valued if you think that he could be, uh, you know, the reach his overall uh, potential. So uh, Christian Barmore from Alabama, he'd be the only interior guy that I would look at for us here in this spot. But then when you go off the edge and guys that, uh, you know, can line up outside the tackle, uh, there are a couple guys that I would look at. I don't know that Aziz Ojolari kind of fits our profile from a, um, you know, from an athletic or from, from a body type 
standpoint. But I think when you look at Greg Rousseau, uh, I think his versatility really kind of mends well with uh, what we're looking for. Quiddy Pay would be the guy that I would point to. Uh, not only are we looking at a, a height, weight, speed player, um, but also a high floor player, a versatile player. Uh, you know, we took Taco Charlton, or we uh, ended up picking up Taco Charlton when he was let go by the Dallas Cowboys. I think Pay has a similar kind of skill set, but to the next level that Taco brings. I'm going to take a look at Quiddy Pay. I think that for us, the value makes sense. The height, weight, speed profile makes sense. The versatility makes sense. I think that he makes it really uh, connects a lot of dots uh, for us here, checks a lot of boxes for us here at the Miami Dolphins. Uh, ben, you will play the role of the coaching staff. Who would uh, fit well for you? Well, I would love to get somebody in that front seven with a little more uh, explosiveness, a little more athleticism, a little bit looser. We were a top 10 team last year in sacks, QB hits, pressure, or decent run uh, defense front. This is not a production need. It's more of a personnel need. The big thing going into 2021 is I want to dial back the blitzing a little bit. We blitzed the fifth most in the league last year, so most defensive backs. We played tons of dime, tons of dollar. I want to dial that back just a little bit because we gave up too many explosive plays out the back end. I want more production from our front. Our edges right now, we have Emmanuel Ogba. We just got rid of Shaq Lawson and Van Ginkle. Our defensive tackles, I like Christian Wilkins. I like Strobridge. I like Raekwon Davis like you talked about. But put all those guys in a hopper, need somebody with a little more disruption to them, a little more first step. A little more hunter to him. That quitty pay profile, right, Fran, that sounds pretty uh, pretty fit for my scheme right now where I need somebody to win for himself so we can dial back the blitzing. All right, Jim, well, uh, take, take us through it here. I think you guys sold me on pay. I, I think that, uh, now correct me if I'm wrong, uh, he played a, a little bit of inside too, right? He did. He can, I think he, he can line up anywhere. Uh, and he has done that. He's lined up really at, a, at a t- pretty much anywhere you would expect a defensive lineman to line up where he was outside as a seven technique all the way inside over the center. So he, he could do anything. We got good production at Agba last year. He's almost like a souped up version of Emmanuel Agba. That might be a perfect fit to kind of mirror with him. Yeah. And I think if we could go high upside here and maybe go with the Rousseau, but I like the idea of maybe the higher floor uh, player, and, and that's Pay, who, uh, you know, 6'3", 270, has that inside-outside versatility, uh, can give us a little bit of juice uh, off the edge. That, that's, I think, that's exactly what you're looking for. So uh, let's, let's make that pick. All right. Well, let's, uh, with the Miami Dolphins and Chris Greer off the clock, now let's go to the Atlanta Falcons, and that's going to be Ben here. Uh, you are selecting for Atlanta and new general manager Terry Fontenot, uh, an offensive guard, early day three. So different part of the draft here, opposite side of the line of scrimmage. Uh, Ben, outline what you're looking for here. Early day three guard for the Atlanta Falcons. We need a left guard center. We need a starter in there. I think we need some depth. I think we need some competition. Um, On day three here, it could be a big school, small school. My background in New Orleans, we weren't afraid to go off the beaten path, uh, especially in the offensive line. Doesn't need to have elite athleticism. I think we're going to go with a little bit more of a vertical displacement offensive line like we ran in New Orleans for all those years. Powerful and strong is better than quick and lightfoot. So if we're bringing Arthur Smith over from Tennessee, that downhill smash mouth type of scheme, you're going to bring Arthur. You know, I loved the way we took Andres Pete, former tackle at Stanford, moving to left guard with the Saints. We had Saffold. We got from the Rams in Tennessee. You had him last year, power guard. You go back to my time in New Orleans, Shari Evans out of Bloomsburg, Carl Nix. All of these guys played tackle before. We slid into guard to be a big, burly, people-moving guard. So I think there's some nice options in this draft for that style of profile. Um, Dane, what do we got? 
Well, I, I think that one option I think fits what you just described is Ben Cleveland. Uh, just, you know, we could keep him in the state of Georgia, 6'6", 343 pounds, massive dude, uh, creates torque with his upper half. He can turn defenders from the lane. The only issue with him, he might be a guard only. So he doesn't give us any much versatility at all, which is not ideal, but size, power, awareness. I think he checks all those boxes. Uh, another intriguing option we could go is, you know, Larry Borum, uh, the tackle out of Missouri, who played a little bit of guard, might be better inside for us with that wide stance. Uh, doesn't always look pretty, but his hands are heavy. His anchor is strong. That could potentially be a fit as well. So uh, I had Ben Cleveland as the first name I had written down as the coaching staff. Uh, I do think that he kind of fits what you're kind of outlined there uh, in terms of what our wants are. Uh, Dane kind of mentioned he might be only guard only, and he's only played on the right side. So if we are looking for somebody to compete on the left side, we'd have to move somebody else, or we're going to have to project him kind of flipping everything and going over to the other side of the line of scrimmage. He's only been on the right side over the course of his career. Uh, Deontay Brown from Alabama would be another guy that, you know, if he's there early day three, I think makes sense for us. He does have experience, both guard spots. So he could play both right-handed and left-handed for us. And, and there's not much to say. You turn the film on for 20 plays and you can see his ability to move people at the point of attack. If we aren't afraid to go off the beaten path, I feel like David Moore from Grambling uh, does kind of fit what we're looking for. And he's got a multi-dimensional skill set. I mean, he's a finisher in terms of his ability to move people in the run game. He's not quite, there's a little bit of untapped power there. Uh, I don't know that he's right where he needs to be from a technical standpoint, but the kid's athletic and he's a try hard blocker. So, and he's also got some versatility. I think you look at him, he's a guy that could potentially fit for us. And, uh, you know, if we do want to try and go into the small school ranks, like you mentioned, I think that he kind of fits. I've got a couple other names. Kendrick Green might a little bit be pie in the sky there. What about Aaron Banks? Uh, another guy who's got tackle guard versatility. He's been an All-American uh, at left guard this past year for the Irish. But in terms of what he could be for us moving forward, again, just kind of brings that people mover presence to the inside. And you talk about Roger Saffold. He, I think he's got some similarities uh, to Saffold, especially when Saffold was coming out of Indiana. So uh, those would be the names that I would bring up there. Some really interesting options there. Ben Cleveland, very interesting option. Larry Borum, very interesting option. That size. Aaron Banks, I didn't consider that. At 330, former tackle. Again, didn't play a lot of tackle at Notre Dame, but as a tackle pedigree coming out of high school there. Fran, or excuse me, Arthur coming over from Tennessee. Do you see a little uh, Nate Davis in David Moore? Yeah. I do. Now that you mentioned that, I think I could, uh, Nate Davis was a, I believe a fourth round pick for us in Tennessee coming out of Charlotte. Uh, and he was a day a one squatty type. Yep. Yeah, he was a squatty type. Um, bend. He had to, yeah, yeah. I think that that definitely, I could definitely see that. Uh, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I just I really like go on. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I like David Moore's performance down there at the senior bowl. I thought he really got after people a little on the squattier side uh, than the Ben Cleveland's of the world, which are much bigger type of prospects. But I really like David Moore. I like the way Nate Davis uh, played that right guard spot for you in Tennessee, Arthur Smith. So if David Moore is sitting there in round four, maybe round five, early day three, I think he's a guy that could play center, play guard for us. Let's go get him. All right. I like it. So we've got two, uh, two picks down. Let's go one more here. Uh, and I will play the role uh, of the Cleveland Browns. And we're looking for a wide receiver in round three. And here's what I'm going to kind of highlight here uh, for the Cleveland Browns. Number one, age, very important. We did not select any rookies that would be 22 or younger or 22 or older 
last year. Everybody was either 21 or 22 that we took last year in 2020. So age, very important. Bigger schools, all of our picks last year were from Power 5 programs. So I don't want any, anybody outside the Power 5 looking at big schools. Uh, no bad athletes or speed-deficient players. We're looking for guys that have upside, uh, not scared by the lack of production. So if a guy's got traits but didn't produce, you look back to our selection of Donovan Peoples-Jones last year coming out of Michigan, he kind of fits that mold. Uh, we're looking for somebody maybe a little bit more upside, a little bit more proven uh, ability in round three as opposed to, I believe, DPJ was a fifth-round pick for us uh, a year ago. And the other aspect of this look is just trying to match to our scheme. Look, we will, we like to run the football. We are a physical team. You need to be able to match that from an identity standpoint. We don't want a prima donna out there at wide receiver. You want to be able to fit what we do as a program offensively. So physicality, certainly a plus uh, for us at this position. Uh, ben, uh, give us what we're looking for here at the Cleveland Browns. You know, kind of reviewing those traits backwards. It immediately eliminates some guys that don't block, that don't play particularly tough. Uh, so here in the third round, I think it leaves us with an interesting hopper of prospects. Some of the ones I'm considering, Tylen Wallace out of Oklahoma State. I know the knock on him is athleticism. I've heard some rumblings of some good test scores. Productive player might not be the athletic profile we're looking for there in round three. Diami Brown out of North Carolina, I think has a really good play temperament. They have to block for each other quite often on perimeter action at North Carolina. Can win down the field. Decent hands. Amonra St. Brown's a guy we've been bringing up quite often on this day two category. Been winning the slot, can win outside, blocks his butt off. He's a guy you just want to get his ball, uh, the ball in his hands, can win down the field. And Simi Fajoko out of Stanford might be working his way into this day two category as guys in the past have, whether it's Chase Claypool, Miles Boinkin. You see a 6'4 guy, 225, running 4'4s, four 4'3s. Four that kind of makes you stop in your tracks. And I'm not sure we really have a profile of receiver like Fajoko on the roster. I like Donovan People-Jones, obviously Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham. I like a little bit more matchup, a little bit more size. And he's a guy who can uh, contribute in special teams, contribute in the red zone. He's a physical player. And he's a guy that might complement our existing room pretty well. All right. There's a couple of names there that uh, that intrigued me for us. Uh, Dane, uh, as the coaching staff, uh, what do you what do you got for us? Love me some Fajoko. Uh, I like that. Um, I, you know, it's funny because the the first two names I thought of um, were the first two names you mentioned, Tyler Wallace, uh, De'Ami Brown. And, you know, looking at our offense, the way we like to do things, we want guys that uh, can win downfield, um, but more importantly, uh, they're going to be reliable. Uh, you know, with, when you look at our offense with Baker Mayfield, we need guys that can work the middle of the field, that can create those little pockets of separation uh, that Baker can hit. And Tyler Wallace, uh, you know, he's really intriguing because he can do that a little bit. And, you know, Baker's going to throw up uh, some uh, contested uh, balls and Tyler Wallace can go up and come down with them. So he fits a lot of what, you know, the criteria with the age, with the school, um, you know, he, he was productive. Uh, and, you know, we know that. So uh, Tyler Wallace certainly stands out as a guy that, you know, play personality wise, uh, compete wise, um, skill wise in the third round. I, I really like the value there. I'm going to be honest. Uh, you sold me on the first name, Ben. But when you brought up Tylen Wallace, I think that he checks so many of these boxes. He's only going to be a 22-year-old rookie, despite the fact that he's a senior, 22-year-old rookie. Then think about when he first broke out. It was his second year on campus. So what he did as just a 19-year-old for the, for Oklahoma State, I think really kind of sticks with us. He comes from a big school. I, you, you, like you said, he's not going to test out of this world. 
but we don't necessarily need him to be a great athlete. We just need him to not be a bad one. And I think that that he checks that box. He's not going to be a bad athlete. Uh, and he definitely brings that edge that we are looking for. And I think when you look at him from uh, a blocking standpoint, he will do everything that's being asked of him. Uh, and he's got great hands. He's really a, a productive player over the course of his career. Uh, I will make the selection here for Tylen Wallace, the wide receiver from mm-hmm. Oklahoma state. So and whether uh, it was down at the senior bowl or Cleveland, I think he looks pretty good in orange already. So he'll fit right in valid point. That's go. exactly right. Uh, <laughs> I like it. Well, guys, uh, this has been fun. Uh, as always, we will talk to you guys uh, next week. We'll uh, do another. I think we're going to do quarterbacks next week. So we'll have a fun episode. Uh, Nobody cares week. about quarterbacks. Yeah. Really. Everybody just breezes by it. You know, <laughs> there's, no, there's nothing for us to talk about here. Uh, we'll do it all next week, right here on the journey of the draft podcast. Now let's get to the blueprint with my buddy, Sal Capaccio breaking down the Buffalo bills. All 32 teams are always under construction. How are they being built? Let's check out the blueprint. Well, excited to welcome in here to the blueprint here on the journey to the draft podcast. The guy who knows this Buffalo bills team inside and out. He is the Buffalo bills beaten sideline reporter, Sal Capaccio. Sal, thanks so much for joining us here on journey to the draft. I'm, I'm fine. I'm glad you finally asked, man. I've been an admirer of your work from afar. And uh, I know we've tried to hook up a couple of times in the past. So I'm glad we were able to do it today. No question, man. Well, uh, let's just jump right into that. Obviously, Brandon Bean, I feel like, is hailed as one of the more uh, impressive general managers in this league right now. And so I wanted to kind of pick your brain in terms of what you've seen, just in a little bit of a small sample size so far uh, with him in the NFL draft. And we'll start right at the top. What are some what are some trends that you've seen? We'll hit on three here that you've seen from Brandon Bean during his time in Buffalo. Uh, what would be number one for you? Versatility. Mm. They love versatile players. Offensive linemen that can play multiple positions, receivers that can play inside and outside, DBs who can play inside and outside, defensive linemen who can play inside or outside. This team loves versatility. They target them in the draft. They target them in free agency. Uh, this is this is a hallmark of the Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean roster is the first mm. versatility of players. Love it. All right. Well, that's something certainly uh, to keep an eye on. What would be uh, number two for you? Players with high floors. You know, I don't think they go for the high ceilings as much as the high floors. Now, of course, Josh Allen, you need a franchise quarterback. And they they admittedly said, we're taking a swing. Like, this is the guy. Like, if you don't have a franchise quarterback, you don't have one. But generally, it's players with higher floors. Um, you know, you don't see a lot of guys. They, they've, they've missed, of course, on some players. But the guys they've missed on haven't been, oh, that's a real risk pick. It just didn't work out. Most of the mm-hmm. players that they bring into this organization are guys that, when they walk in, they're going to be good football players. They know what they're getting um, character-wise. You know, it really matters to them as well. But, you know, I'll give an example, like a Dane Jackson last year. You know what I mean? We, Dane Jackson, he he's going to come in. He put in he put in his time at Pitt, and he's going to walk on the field and give you a chance to actually put him on the NFL roster. It's not a guy that you're really basically saying, this is a swing and miss, um, uh, you know, risk, basically high risk, high reward. I would say same thing with Tremaine Edmonds because he was so, so young. They felt, you know, this is a higher floor guy. He might never get to be Ray Lewis. But he's a high floor guy. Yeah, I think there's a bunch of guys, both sides of the ball, uh, yep. that you could certainly point to that fit that. Levi Wallace would be another yes. one. Obviously, he, he was undrafted, but kind of fits that mold. Uh, a bunch of guys that they've acquired over the years certainly uh, fit that prototype. What would be the third one for you? Well, you know, I think they transition. I would say this if you had asked me this a year ago, year and a half. I would say experience at the college level. I think they've transitioned away from that a little more as they've filled their roster in and they don't need that as much. I think they wanted guys who've played ball at the highest of levels, who've had wins under their belts, who've had games under their belts. I don't think they have to do that anymore. But one thing that's always going to stand out, and maybe this is number one, actually, they always bring up Bill's DNA. I mean, they're looking for a certain type of player. They want to bring players in this organization who everything about their life is football, basically, who really care about football. Sure, of course, faith, family, all that stuff we talk about, but they want to make sure they bring people that 
playing football at the highest of level is super important to them. I feel like the the experience, I'm glad you brought that up. I remember there was one of the first quotes I put down. I think he was talking specifically about the center position, um, you know, and talked about just the, how much he values, uh, you know, total starts and yep. uh, top level competition. Uh, but then you look back and over the years that they did, they seem to have uh, gotten away from that a little bit. So I'm glad you brought that up. That was something that I actually had in my notes as well. Um, getting into uh, some connections here with this Buffalo Bills front office and this coaching staff. Are there some college programs that you feel uh, they've got some special connections to that are important for people that are trying to build out a mock draft? You know, it's funny when you asked me this question and I knew you were going to ask me, I looked and um, I looked back at the staff they have. And it's funny when, I think in the early on in their tenure, you know, they, Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean, they were kind of figuring out who they want to put in their, co- their scouting staff, their coaching staff, things like that. But they're pretty settled in now. And I would say there's not a real connection. In fact, what I would tell you is I think they've had so many people in the organization now, like, and now let's go to scouts and, you know, front office, Joe Shane, Dan Morgan, Dennis Hickey, Malik Boyd, Terrence Gray. They've been in these jobs now for so long. They have great connections around college football. So I don't think anything really uh, would surprise me from wherever they go to a school. You could go all the way down and get um, a kicker from Georgia Southern, which is Tyler Bass, of course, or you could go to Houston and get Ed Oliver with your first pick. So I wouldn't say there's specific connections anymore. I think really it's the communication between all the schools because they really do have a really good um, experienced front office staff together now. Yeah, it's a, like you said, they've brought in a lot of guys over the last yep. couple of years that uh, that have mainstays uh, with that program. Yep. They haven't been really poached uh, all that often. Uh, what would you say, looking at this team now in this offseason, uh, are the three biggest needs for this franchise as we get into uh, into the spring? Obviously, we're a few days into free agency now at this point, but uh, where we stand right now as of this recording, uh, what do you see as the three biggest needs for this team? The Bills need to bridge the gap between them and the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, they, they've won the division. Teams like the Patriots and Dolphins are trying to catch the Bills. The Bills are trying to catch the Kansas City Chiefs. And to beat the Kansas City Chiefs, I think two things stood out in the AFC Championship game. And number one, and then going into the Super Bowl and how to beat the Chiefs, getting pressure with the front four. The Bills haven't been able to do that. They need an edge rusher. They need more of a presence with their front four. They did select A.J. Epinesa last year with their first pick, which was in the second round. And Fran, I mean, he was 280 at Iowa. They asked him to lose weight. He went down to 260. It actually was a little bit too late for them. He wasn't even active the first week. But, you know, now he'll have a full offseason. So I think the question is, what do they think about a guy like that? What can he do, you know, with a full offseason, get on the field? Is he an answer there? But overall, even though Jerry Hughes is still a good player, Jerry Hughes, 33 years old. Mario Addison, 34 year old, years old. A.J. Epinesa is never going to be a double-digit sack guy. They need a true guy. That's why they were in on J.J. Watt, somebody who – everybody's thinking about in every play they could get after the quarterback. That's number one. I think the other thing that really showed up is the speed on offense. Now, when I say that the bills are not a slow offensive team, right? They're not the Kansas city chiefs. And I think they really showed that they need more speed on offense, whether that's out of the backfield or, Oh, I don't care if the guy has an RB or a WR attached to his name. They need guys who are playmakers. You get the ball to them and they can make things happen. Devin Singletary and Zach Moss are fine running backs. They're not home run hitters. They need home run hitters. They need guys who can take it to the house. Right now, the way to take it to the house is Josh Allen throwing over the top of everybody. Basically, that's the way they do it. Um, And then finally, I would say um, they need a little more depth on the offensive line. You know, it was great for them to go and sign John Feliciano and Daryl Williams. It was nice that their offensive line is pretty much intact. They did re that's why they tendered Ike Butker. I was surprised $2.1 million for Ike Butker, but I think that just shows they really want to make sure that they have a little more depth on the offensive line. Last year, their what they thought was their starting five offensive line never played a single snap together. Actually. Mm. Uh, What's interesting about this group too, is that 
they're now, as you mentioned, they're trying to catch the Kansas City Chiefs. They're in a yep. different phase of the team building process right now than they were when Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott first got there, obviously. So uh, I guess that kind of transitions into my next question is, how do you feel that this team is going to view the best player available versus team need aspect? Do they feel they're right on the doorstep? We got to go and check off our shopping list and come out of this offseason with these needs? The Bills are always best player available. Now, granted, as you know, there's always a caveat. We know it, you, if there's a guy that's slightly ahead and he's not as much of a need as the guy slightly below, they'll do that. They will not reach, though. The Bills will not reach. Yeah. That is against their draft philosophy. What they're trying to do here in Buffalo, and I think you really see this by the moves they've made this offseason, the Bills aren't just trying to bridge the gap to win the Super Bowl you know, this year. They're trying to sustain long-term mm -hmm. success. They want to be the new Patriots. They want to be what maybe people think are the new Chiefs. You know, you look ahead. I just did a, a little bit of projection the other day. I was looking at a chart. The Bills have very few guys who are going to be free agents next year. Now, Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds, 50-year option, but, you know, yeah. assuming that they're going to pick them up. Jerry Hughes, Taron Johnson, one or two more guys. Otherwise, this group is intact for two more years, and in a large part, Fran, they're intact for three more years. So I think they just want to keep getting best player available because, as you know, it's a lot easier to replace guys who become free agents if you put – picked a guy who suddenly becomes into his own. So, you know, they'll look at some of the needs they have. I don't think it's specific position. I think it's more like, can this guy rush the passer? Is this guy fast? All the things, all the traits we talked about, but they will not reach for a specific need. Interesting. Um, very, they're one of the teams. That's why I wanted to bring you on. They're one of the teams that I'm really interested to see how they approach the rest of this offseason, considering how close they are and the, the jumps that they made uh, this past year in 2020. Uh, let's get into some players now. Is there a guy or two that are being mocked to the Bills that, just makes sense. You just kind of, you know, connect a lot of the dots uh, that we've been talking about. So I, I would say not as much players. Like I've been kind of looking, so what, what are some of the people mocking? Um, I would say positions. Okay. I don't, I don't think the bills are going to, did you ask me that guys who do make sense or don't make guys sense? That, guys that do make sense to start. Okay. Yeah. I think Travis Etienne is interesting. Um, remember right. what we said a little while ago, right? Tra a lot of people think Travis Etienne couldn't be in play. Now it's interesting. Yep. We're trying to read the tea leaves from Brandon Bean because he has basically said the struggles in the run game last year were not on the running backs. Mm. I don't think he also put it on the O-line. He's saying, I think what he's trying to tell us is we got to do a better job of being not as scheme heavy on the pass. We don't want to be a run first team, but we got to be better at preparing to be better in the run game. You know, and I think that's what they want to do. However, you cannot ignore the fact that they need playmaking ability out of the backfield. And I think Travis Etienne would fit. Now, some people have said Najee Harris, as you know, I don't think that's as quite as you know, square peg round hole, maybe a little bit there with that. But I think Travis Etienne uh, would be a guy that would fit there. I would say um, there's a few names thrown out there, but edge rusher near the bottom of the draft. Whoever's kind of left in that spot at the bottom of the draft, I think would would make some sense. Um, I've seen different players mock there, and it depends yeah. too. You know, you have, to, you have to think about scheme fit. The Bills are not a 3-4. They're not going to take a guy who is really good um, with, without putting his hand in the dirt, but he can get to the quarterback. They want guys who can put their hand in the dirt. They play a lot of nickel. They play a lot of nickel. Um, and then I don't know if, I don't know how far down these guys are going to go, but a guy like Patrick Sertain or um, Malafalu from Syracuse, I, yeah. I think a corner would really fit. You know why? It really makes sense. Now they like Dane Jackson a lot, but if you can get a rookie contract opposite Tredavious White, who you gave that extension, that is great fiscal management, you know, for the next four or five years. Yeah, I think that one certainly would make uh, a lot of sense. I I'm very, very intrigued. Like I said, uh, do, do you think that that's uh, that they're worried about positional value? Like if it came to an ETN or a Najee Harris, or is, do you think Brandon Bean is someone that'd say, "Nah, we're not going to take a running back that high"? I mean, he came up uh, under Dave Gettleman, and Gettleman certainly uh, does not share that philosophy. Is that something you think Bean would share? I do kind of think that, which is interesting. But interesting. 
I think it might be a spot of the draft where he does not say that, okay, that that's too high. Got it. And I, and I think part of the reason is if they're going to try to catch the Kansas city chiefs, you think, what did the chiefs do? They win the super bowl. They add, they add uh, Clyde Edwards, Alaire, right? I mean, like here's this team with this explosive offense, even the year before they have the MVP, they're throwing it around the yard. They get McCole Hardman, you know, to, with yeah. their first pick. So I think that he looks at that and says, look, if the right guy is there to get us over the hump, I'll do it. But I generally agree. I do not think he thinks running back is of that positional value. What I would tell you is I'd be stunned if he ever paid for a running back. He, right. he wants guys on, he wants guys on rookie contracts like Singletary, like Moss, maybe this year, because he's got to pay Josh Allen. And if you're going to be a, a heavy run team, 70, 30 uh, pass team, excuse me, heavy pass team, you can't invest that kind of money in, in a running back. Do you feel like the, the fact that they have spent a day two pick on running back each of the past two years would scare them from taking another? Or do you feel like that that's still in the cards here? I think it's still in the cards. And the reason is because I think they like these guys. Yep. They did spend a a day two pick. They like Devin Singletary. They like Zach Moss. These are not bad football players. Mm -hmm. I think there's just a little something missing, whatever it was um, from their home run capability. And I, and I do think part of it's timing in the offense. I think that's something maybe that, you know, he's alluding to when he's saying we got to be better in different areas. I think, you know, maybe if you run the offense a little bit differently, when, Hey, when TJ Yeldon played, he actually did pretty well. He's more of a power guy. I wouldn't be surprised if they go a little bit more like that sometimes Mm -hmm. in the running game to help that out. So no, I don't think they're scared off because I think they think they got good returns on those guys. Now on the inverse, is there a player or position that just doesn't make sense in your eyes in terms of positions that are being mocked to the bills right now? Yeah. I mean, I've seen a couple with, um, Zayvon Collins, as I say his name, yeah. the linebacker, you know, I mean, and here's why most people were expecting Matt Milano to leave. The bills only play two linebackers. Matt Milano's not leaving. He resigned for four years. Now does Tremaine Edmonds get the fifth year option? I think that's a question now. And if you want to put somebody back there, but you know, they still have, they really like uh, Terrell Dodson back there. They have AJ Klein. So I do not think a linebacker uh, is the way to go. And I don't think they're going to be doing that. And then offensive line, especially offensive tackle. I've seen Tevin Jenkins mocked a little bit. Now he's a good player. I don't know if the bills want to do that after they just got, they signed Deion Dawkins to a contract extension last year before the season it kicks in now. And they just signed Daryl Williams to a three-year contract extension. They're paying a lot of money, you know, for their tackles. So I just don't see offensive line necessarily being in the cards right now. And I think maybe at that spot, guard would be a little bit too high. Interesting. And just, I guess, from your standpoint, uh, parting words, some final advice to anybody uh, that's building a mock draft and then uh, Buffalo's on the clock. Well, it is Brandon Bean. So I would say do not discount anything, including a trade up. If you really like somebody, including trading for a player. I mean, this is what happened last year. Fran, I mean, we went into last offseason thinking they got to get a receiver. They got to get a receiver. Everybody's mocking all these great receivers. T Higgins, Justin Jefferson, all these guys. All of a sudden, March, what, 16th at night, they traded for Stefan Diggs. They gave up their first round pick. And Brandon Bean told us, and he's right. He said, we felt we were at the point now where we could do that. We would not have done that the last few years. We're at the point now. And I wonder, is he at the point now where he says, Hey, Vikings, I'll give you my first round pick for Daniel Hunter. Does he, is he at the point now where he believes giving up an asset at the end of the first round, even a first round pick to get a player or move up, you know, to get a player. I, I think Brandon Bean has moved around the draft a lot. He's no made doubt. a lot of player trades, by the way. And um, I, I would not discount anything when talking about the Buffalo Bills in that regard. Yeah, I mean, just looking back, I mean, they traded up for Josh Allen. They traded yep. up for Tremaine Edmonds. They traded up for Cody Ford. They traded up for Dawson Knox. Uh, when it comes to day one, day two, uh, they've been right. very, very aggressive uh, with going up and trying to get their guy. No doubt about it. And, you know, I think one thing, um, you know, people think about Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. They both did come four years ago. The first draft was actually McDermott's. Right. The first draft. And you think about how good that draft has panned out now. You're familiar, obviously, down there at Temple with Deion Dawkins, how good, you know, what he's been able to do. Tredavious White, Deion Dawkins, and Matt Milano. When do you see three guys like that 
really hit home runs in one draft. I mean, these are franchise kind of cornerstones at their positions. And that really was Sean McDermott and his and Doug Whaley and Jim Monas and those guys before um, Brandon Bean got here. And then Brandon Bean, his first draft, he trades those trades up to get Tremaine and Josh Allen. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly a fun team uh, to be able to study. Sal, thanks so much for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast to talk about the Buffalo Bills. Stay safe, stay healthy. Hope to talk to you soon, man. Anytime, brother. Thank you. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. Well, awesome insight there from Sal. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Let's get into a little bit of Eagles talk here as we've got a couple of questions. We're going to, again, before we get started, just a quick reminder. If you can just do us that favor of just jumping onto our Apple podcast page, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. If you've got a question, we will answer it here. We're going to get them all answered before we get to the draft. So if you've got a question, now is the time. And it could be about a mock draft. It could be about a specific player, stacking players against each other. If you want us to rank a, a certain position, or if you want to exactly do what uh, these two fellas uh, have done here today on the show, we're going to start things off with Bert2349, who left a five-star review saying, thanks for breaking down my last mock draft. It was awesome. Love getting your insight on those players. I have another question, and I know the answer is that you need to get good players, period. But I do feel that the Eagles need to find a second-round outside corner in this year's draft. What kind of player is Jonathan Gannon, the new Eagles defense coordinator, looking for at corner? I went back, and over the past 10 years, the average number of corners taken prior to when we pick in the third round is 8.8. So you round that up to nine. Assuming that the Eagles go offensive playmaker in the first round, who are some of the players that fit the mold of what Jonathan Gannon wants in a corner? And does that value meet the team's needs in the second or third round? Can we wait until the third to get a starter that fits this new system? So, Bert, uh, great question. And the reason why I say great question is that I love your process with trying to come up with that. Uh, to, in terms of uh, looking at the average number of corners that have been selected by that round, I promise you, NFL teams do that same kind of research. They have those same kinds of discussions when they're planning out their strategy heading into a draft. Yeah, you're always going to go best player. You know, a lot of teams are going to go best player available. We're going to stick to the board and all that. But when it comes down to, hey, you know what? We've got two players that are graded very, very similarly. One is here at this position where that's that supply is going to dry up very, very fast. And the other, there is great depth. You're going to have those conversations, especially at a position like corner, because not only do those players go fast, you mentioned uh, by early round three, uh, just, uh, just under 10 players go every single year. But also, it has the most players drafted of any position in the draft every single year, year over year. It's right around 30 guys get drafted at corner every year. Teams are always looking for that position. Now, just like every position, you can find starters up and down, and it all depends on what you're doing schematically. So I can't sit here in year zero of Jonathan Gannon, right, because we have not seen what this scheme looks like, to say, hey, this is exactly what he wants because he, he comes from two different systems. He comes from uh, what they did under Matt Eberflus in Indianapolis. And by the way, the way that they bring in corners, that's not going to be shaped just by Matt Eberflus and not just by the defensive backs coach, Jonathan Gannon, but also what Chris Ballard looks for, right? And what Frank Reich uh, looks for, what this college scouting director looks for. All these guys are going to have input into what the, the prototype is going to look like at that position. So you're going you're to have that aspect of it. But then you go over to Minneapolis, to Minnesota, right? To the Vikings. And what exactly he had when he was out working under Mike Zimmer. That's going to be inf influenced by Rick Spielman, who's the general manager, right? Who the, all the other players, uh, the, all the other uh, the owners there uh, in terms of the draft process. Who are the other people that manage that process? And I think when you look at Jonathan Gannon, it's tough for us to say, hey, this is really what he's going to be looking for. And this is the skill set or the body type. 
it's just tough, right? So all we can do is try and project and try and guess. And I think when you're looking at this scheme, you can try and guess that you could try and project that it's probably going to be a little bit more zone heavy than what the Eagles did a year ago, or it was heavy, heavy man coverage. Uh, so you're going to say, all right, well, who are the corners that best kind of fit that? It depends. Are they going to play a lot of press? Are they going to play a lot of off? Are they going to mix guys in and out? Are guys going to play inside and outside? Are they going to have more defined roles? Is it going to be just left corner and just right corner? Are guys going to play field and boundary and and, and mix, uh, mix and match? It's, it makes it a very difficult conversation to try and project. But what we can do is talk about who are the corners that are going to be outside corners that are probably looking in that round two area. And I think right now, when you look at the cornerback board, and we've talked about this a little bit in recent weeks, we talked about a lot about the top corners in the draft, the guys that are likely first round picks last week with Greg Cosell. Uh, make sure you go check that segment out. It was the, the, ep- the very last episode before this one. But I think if you start going into early round two, you know, one name that pops to mind right off the top is Syracuse corner Ifyatu Melifanu, 6'3", 212 pounds, uh, tested very well at his pro day the other day. Uh, not only does, you know, he has, look, he's got a uh, great body type, you know, 6'3", 212. Uh, I mentioned the testing scores. He goes to the senior ball. I thought he had a solid week down there. I thought he just had really good film. I thought his film this past year as a junior was really impressive. I thought his game against Clemson and their talented pass offense was really impressive. Uh, he just, he does, he checks a lot of boxes from that standpoint. I thought he's a really instinctive player. Uh, then you go to Tyson Campbell from Georgia, 6'1", just under 200 pounds. He came in at 193. Uh, this is a guy who runs like the wind. He's really physical. He's really competitive. So teams and defenses that prioritize that physical toughness at the cornerback spot or really just throughout the entire defense, if that's the identity you're trying to build, Tyson Campbell might be your guy, right? And so you start looking around. Who are some of the other guys? You know, Eric Stokes, more of a prototype press man corner. He's got great height and, and speed. Uh, he can turn and find the ball downfield. What are his instincts like in man? What is his toughness level like in terms of coming down and playing at the line of scrimmage? And you look at Aaron Robinson from Central Florida. Yeah, played mostly in the slot this past year, um, but he's got outside corner experience, and he's a guy that can uh, line up in and out, and he's not just like some small-time recruit. He was also uh, a you know a, a big-time guy who started his career at Alabama and then transferred down to UCF. So a very talented corner. Those would be a couple names uh, that I would start with. And, Bert, like I said, great question, great way uh, to kind of frame that discussion. Let's now get to our second question uh, and our final one, and that's going to be from EBD88. Said it left a five-star review saying, Fran, love the work and the insight you guys provide. Offensive line question for you. With the new Eagles scheme and with Jeff, Stout- Jeff Stoutland staying on board, what do you see as the scheme fit for the offensive line moving forward? In years past, you'd think of more athletic, mobile offensive linemen who can pull and get to the second level like what we've seen with Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson. Do you think that the Eagles still target that same mold of mobile offensive line, or is there a potential fit for bigger road graders with heavier feet. And so uh, EBD, I think when you look at the offensive line, uh, you know, one thing with Jeff Stout, yeah, like they're going to be a multiple run scheme. We actually had this discussion. Uh, was it last week now? Over, no, it was two weekends, two weekend, uh, two weeks ago over on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, myself and Ben broke down the right side of the Eagles O-line. So we talked about Kelsey, Brandon Brooks, and Lane Johnson, and just how they fit into the structure of the offense. And with all three, we talked about just how multiple the, the run scheme was with the Eagles, and I, I don't really expect that to, to change. I think the run game will stay pretty uh, consistent in terms of what they do schematically. And so if you're looking at that from a philosoph- philosophical standpoint, my guess is that the, the draft strategy wouldn't change all that much. That being said, it's not just athleticism because you, know, you look at Brandon Brooks. That guy's a road grader. He can push people off the ball. They prioritize that ability to move people in the run game. And you know, you look at Matt Pryor. Like Matt Pryor was not a, a big-time athlete. In fact, he had like a historically bad workout 
leading up to the NFL draft. Um, but this is a guy that you know had that position versatility. He's got great size. He could move people at the point of attack. He had traits that you could kind of work with, unique traits at that body type. So I think when you're looking at the Eagles offensive line, it's not just movement. I think it's when you talk about that, that scheme with all the different things they ask their offensive linemen to do, if you do one thing great, well, they could find a home for you because now you can. they're just going to try and put you in a position to succeed at the NFL. So that would be my, uh, my word of advice is don't just look at, oh, it's just the athletic guys. If you've got a great trait, if you've got one singular thing that you are great at, well, they'll, they'll find a room for it. We'll, they'll find a spot for you uh, in this run game. So, uh, Bert, EBD, thanks so much. Great questions from both of you guys. Thanks so much for your support, uh, for jumping onto our Apple Podcast page. Please, everybody, follow their lead. Jump on wherever you listen. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever. Leave a five-star review. Or, you know, if you think it's a four or three-star, I'm not, I'm not going to fault you for it. But leave us a review. Leave us a rating. Thanks so much to everybody for your continued support of us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We'll talk to you later this week. In just over three years, Eagles Autism Foundation has raised millions of dollars for autism research and care. But this is about so much more than just fundraising. This is about making a transformational difference in the lives of those affected by autism. This is about bringing our community together. With inclusive, sensory-friendly events and accessible resources, we meet families where they need us most and where we can serve them best. Together, we're united in our mission to improve the lives of the autism community and to turn awareness into action. It's what we focus on every day in every way.